0: Your love is like the spring, it brings me light. Your heart is like the warm of a summer night. Oh, I know, it's not always easy, but when the winter comes, I'll be yours through the seasons, Day after day, light after night I will be yours You will be mine Bring on the lows Bring on the highs Day after day, light after night I will be yours You will be mine Bring on the lows Bring on the highs Oh, I know
1: It won't always be easy But look how far we've come. I'm never leaving.
0: Cause on the day that I met, you, I met you, you knew that I knew that I knew. When I said that I choose you, you know I'm still you. Love I still do. Loving how it gets to the fire. Nada
2: my shepherd i mm-hmm.
3: Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. Thanks for joining us here at Trinity. Um, so we put out a message earlier today that there was no heat. When we got here this morning, it was 50 degrees, and down the hall was 48 degrees. And uh, so, well, that's not acceptable. And so we prayed, and then uh, a couple of the guys helped to figure it out. And so uh, we're pretty sure the heat is working throughout the building. It's working in here, and. Uh, so we praise God for that. So He is He's good, and we're thankful. Uh, it's a little bit cooler down the hall, uh, but um, anyway, nothing's going to stop us from getting together this morning to praise God, right? I was going to suggest maybe we like sit closer and huddle together, but you know, for all our you know those of us with a Baptist background, we usually sit way in the back. And uh, there you go. But um, it's all good. The heat is working, so you're safe. But uh, it's so good to be, you know, in this place, um, heat or not. But we're grateful because we have a, we have a place to come to to be able to worship God together. We have our our times of study here, our times of fellowship, um, and this is all part of what it looks like to be the church. You know, because as you read the New Testament, you see that the church is not a building; it's the people of God. It's um, believers, true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, in fact, the universal church is believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, all throughout the world. Just think of the millions of Christians that are worshiping God right now around the world, and this day uh, specifically. And we get to join with them, you know, in a very special way. But this, our local sort of embodiment of that, is very unique and special because we get to encourage each other and we get to um, challenge each other in our faith, and we come alongside each other and and walk with each other in our journeys with Jesus. And so it is good we start our week like this, amen, to to be encouraged, and again, and challenged. And so um, as I usually do, I'd like to read from the scriptures as our call to worship, because here at Trinity, you see our, our core values learn, grow, and serve. We learn the truth, and we grow in faith, and we serve each other. And a big part of how we do all that is by worshiping God, right? Giving him all the praises that are due his name. And um, we're going to do that in a moment through song. We're going to stand and sing songs of praise to him. But as we open God's word, um, we are reminded uh, of his power. We're reminded that God fights our battles for us. He goes before us each and every day through his spirit, and he goes and he prepares the way. And God is the one uh, who fights our battles for us. You're going to kind of hear that in the songs and hear it in the scripture. But um, we need not fear and we can have great confidence because even when things around us may seem difficult, uh, when uh, we struggle, whether it's internally or with external issues, we know that we have a God who knows us, who loves us, and he is an all-powerful God who sent his son Jesus to take our place on the cross, that we might have life and life eternal. Listen to these words. This is Isaiah chapter 53 in its entirety. Allow this word of God to be our call into worship this morning. Isaiah 53. For who has believed our message And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and like one from whom men hide their face. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth, like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people, to whom the stroke was due, his grave was assigned with wicked men, and he was with a rich man in his death, because he had... Done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. And by his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, yet he himself bore the sin of many, and interceded for the transgressors. Would you stand with me, please? Father God, what a powerful reminder of your plan ages ago, to send us our Redeemer, to send the promised Messiah who would take away the sins of the world, who would take away our sins, if only we would believe and receive that free gift, that offer of salvation in Christ. God, we are reminded that he took upon himself all of our iniquities, and Father God, it saddens us what Christ needed to do, but yet God, you remind us that we can truly be thankful because he went willingly and he did it because of his love for us. God, our desire right now is to say thank you, to say thank you by singing songs and to say thank you by worshiping you and praying and reading your word and our response to your goodness for sending us Jesus is to say thank you. God, we worship you now with grateful hearts. And we are hopeful, Lord God. We are hopeful because of what Christ has done, that there is hope for this hopeless world, that there is light to be shed on the darkness of this broken and hurting world. God, we worship you now because of what you have done for us and because of who you are. Thank you for your word. And thank you, Lord God, for the privilege of being able to worship you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's remain standing and sing songs of praise to our God together. See you next. He is, praise the Lord. 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 Oh, Father God, we thank you, Lord God, that you go before us and you have won the ultimate battle, that battle over sin and death and the grave, and you did that through your son Jesus Christ. Thank you for that ultimate sacrifice and gift of love, and God, may we be reminded of that power, that power of the gospel that power that you have, life over death. God, may we um, remember that, Lord, and as we continue to worship you and encourage each other, Father, that, that cross and that grave are both empty, and Father God. And even now, Lord, in this new life, you fight our battles as we are singing. You go before us. You're an almighty fortress who goes before us. We thank you for that, God. May we cling to that this morning and find our true hope and strength and courage in you and you alone. We thank you, God, for powerful time of worship. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Say good morning to somebody next to you.
0: for the heartbreak, everything you knew Faded out of you, stole a piece of you If I could, oh I would be a hero Be the one who would take all the arrows Save you from the pain, carry all the way But I know that you pray
1: I Down. Let it breathe, give it wings, set it free. Now time to make your mark, break the prison bars. Show them who you York- are.
3: All right, if we can uh, make our way back to our seats. Praise the Lord. Yeah, now it's actually kind of warm in here, isn't it? Hey, turn the air conditioning on. Come on. Now, just <laughs> Praise the Lord. Right? You can be like the Apostle Paul and find contentment. Seasons of plenty and seasons of want, heat and cold, and well, God is good, and uh, you know, so thankful for our worship all the time. But just some special worship, uh, powerful this morning, but a great reminder that we have a strong God who is our fortress. Uh, and uh, we were talking earlier in our dig deeper class about how His dominion, His kingdom, will last forever. And so um, as we live in this world, this broken and fallen world, we are the people of hope, and we get to bring hope uh, and the message of life uh, to this world. But yet we also are reminded that this is not our true and permanent home. We are yet sojourners and pilgrims um, passing through. But while we are here, Jesus teaches us that we are to make a difference and to do it by reflecting his love. And um, so we continue in our study of uh, Matthew today, and uh, you'll see that come up as Jesus continues to talk to uh, those who are newer believers and describe to them what citizens of his coming kingdom are to look like and how we are to live now. So just uh, one quick announcement um, before we uh, dive into God's word. You Remember I mentioned this last week, but um, our monthly lunch for March, which is uh, you know almost always every month, it's the first Sunday of the month. We have communion and our fellowship lunch. We're just um, pushing it back one week for March, so we won't have our fellowship lunch next week, which is uh, the third, but we're going to do it on the following week, the 10th, and it'll be themed for an international fellowship lunch, all right? So the idea is to bring something in our, our potluck lunch that day, something that represents your um, your background, right? And so... Um, you know, if your uh, background is Italian, you can bring some food, just let me know, I'll let you know my favorite pasta, and we'll go from there. But it's a great time, we celebrate our diversity, you know, the unity we have in our diversity, and it's a fun time to uh, to just get to enjoy different uh, tastes from around the world, right? So that'll be on March 10th, right? Not next week, of course, we have our communion service at the end of worship, and then we go right into our luncheon. And the reason that we're doing that is because on the 10th, in two weeks, um, the, uh, the the women from the Hoving Home uh, will be joining us. And they were here a year or so ago, and um, they brought their choir. They have a choir ministry where they come and sing and lead us in worship and share testimonies. There'll be a few of the women who will share testimonies. And the Hoving Home is a residential uh, recovery ministry for women who are coming out of addiction or uh, domestic abuse situations, and a few different other things that will bring them to this place. And it's a a tremendous ministry up in North Jersey. And so we've been able to partner with them uh, in the past. And so uh, they asked if we'd like to have them back, and I said, absolutely. And so they will be here on Sunday the 10th, and they will lead us in worship through their choir and share testimonies during that morning service. And then they will join us for our lunch afterwards. Okay, and that's the way it'll work. So we'll have a day of of celebration and hearing how God is at work in the lives of some of these uh, women. And so a good opportunity, too, if you know anybody in your life that has been sharing Jesus with and that you know particularly would would benefit from hearing um, testimonies that day, then invite them out. It'll be a great time, and they can stay for lunch. So consider that on, um, on the 10th, all right? That's what we're doing. Um, for anything else, remember to check our website, trinityallenwood.com. Uh, we always have a lot going on. There's a, um, a missions outreach today later on. Got a bunch of people sign up for that. and We're going to the Jersey Shore Rescue Mission, one of our missionary partners that we support. And we're going to lead their Sunday evening chapel, bring some worship and some testimonies and get to serve them dinner and uh, just a, a be a, a support for them. And so um, just looking forward to that later on. Um, so, We're going to um, dive into God's Word, so let me pray, and then we'll open it together. Father, we thank you. Thank you so much for all that you've been doing already in our lives this morning. Father, I pray that now as we look intently to the words of your son Jesus, our Savior, may we be changed, may we be transformed by the renewing of our mind this morning as we think upon these things. God, we're grateful for the Word of God, for your very Word. Grateful that we can read it and listen to it, and that we can study it, and that we can hide it in our hearts. So God, we desire to be more like Jesus today when we leave than we, when we came in. And so, we ask your blessing. We ask it in his name. Amen. So, One day, there was a man who was on a walk from Jerusalem to Jericho. And suddenly, on his walk, he was surrounded by robbers. And so they stripped him of all his belongings, and they beat him to within an inch of his life. And they left him half dead. But just then, a priest was going down the road, and when the priest saw him, the priest passed by on the one side. But just shortly after that, another holy man, a Levite, also came by and saw the man in distress. And when he saw him, he passed by the man on the other side. But then came along a Samaritan gentleman who was on a long journey, and he came upon the man who had been beaten, and when he saw him, he felt compassion, and he came to him, he bandaged up his wounds, and he poured uh, anointing and healing oil on him, and, and, and gave wine to him, and he put him on his own donkey, and brought the injured man to a local inn, so they could take care of him, and he could watch over him, and the next day, he gave some money to the innkeeper, about two days' worth of wages, and said to the innkeeper, would you take care of my friend here? And whatever you spend, I will return and repay you if it's more. So in this story, which one do you think was being the good neighbor? It was the Samaritan, wasn't he? The familiar story of the good Samaritan. So Jesus was teaching, as he often did, and he... He shared this story, and he asked this question of his hearers, and I asked that question of us this morning. Jesus says, which of these three men do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who was in distress? The person he was talking to said, well, the one who showed mercy on him. Listen to what Jesus said next. Jesus said, so go and do the same. We are not to just read a story like the Good Samaritan and say, wow, that's a good example. We are to live it out. And in our passage in Matthew today, you'll see it up there, Matthew 5, 43 to 48, Jesus tells us to do just that. As he has been giving us these illustrations from the Old Testament law, Jesus now tells us about loving our neighbor, but more specifically, about how to respond to our enemies. So consider, as I read this passage, and as we unpack it together, consider as sort of our framework the story of the Good Samaritan. Have you ever been in that kind of situation? Where you came across somebody in distress, and were you like the priest or the Levite and passed by them, or were you willing to be the Good Samaritan? You see the Jews and the Samaritans, in many ways, were enemies. Jesus is going to tell us about loving our enemies, and most of us have probably heard this story before, are familiar with it to some degree, but you see, the Jews and the Samaritans of Jesus' day, going back many years, had great animosity between them, because the Samaritans were called this mixed breed. They were sort of half-Jewish and half-non-Jewish, and had intermarried when they had been taken captive, the northern tribes of Israel taken captive, and many of the other captives uh, by that conquering nation sent uh, pagan peoples over to Samaria, and they intermarried with the Jewish people, and along with that came their gods and their false faith and pagan worship, and so the Jews looked at the Samaritans as lower than the low even to the point where when they were traveling, if they had to go through that area of Samaria, they would take all the extra time they needed to go around because they didn't even want to talk to or look at a Samaritan. So in Jesus' story, don't you know that he chooses, the hero of the story, to be a Samaritan who helps a Jewish person who has been robbed. Jesus was teaching us giving us an example that even when there were enemies, that this Samaritan came along and had mercy, he said. Not only mercy, and he was generous in his mercy. He gave him two days' worth of wages and put him on his own donkey and brought him to the inn and made sure he was cared for and said that he would come back. This is truly an amazing story. Let that be the context uh, for us this morning as we read in Matthew 5, 43 to 48. It'll be up on the screen, but I always encourage you to have your Bibles with you. Use your Bible app on your phone is that how, if that's how you normally read the Scriptures. But here is the final of these illustrations that we've been seeing the past few weeks in Matthew 5, Where Jesus says this phrase that has become so important, he says, you have heard it said, but I say to you. He says it over and over, and he gives an example. And so what Jesus is doing is he's taking a teaching from the law, the law of Moses, an Old Testament teaching, and he is showing how the religious leaders of the day were misinterpreting it and misapplying it. He's getting to the heart of the law. I've been talking about that a lot. So he says, you have heard it said, but I say to you, because he's speaking with great authority. And this passage today is the last time he does that in this section. But today, he uses the idea of loving our neighbor and loving our enemy. Jesus expects us to live differently than the world expects from us. And that's hard, isn't it? But see, Jesus is talking to these new believers and explaining to them saying, I've come to bring the kingdom and this is what I expect of the citizens of my kingdom. I'm the king and I've come to be your king and to bless you. But in these teachings, he's saying, here is how I expect you to think and to act. What the attitude of your heart should be So listen to what he says in this final passage of Matthew 5. Jesus says, So you have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, then what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. So I guess today we're going to learn how to be perfect. Anybody want to learn how to be perfect? I mean, that's what he says. Isn't it interesting? It's funny also. Matthew is writing this, and he's recounting in this gospel account everything Jesus taught. You just picture him writing this. All. I remember when Jesus was calling out the tax collectors. Matthew was a tax collector. Right? He's like, wow, even somebody like me. So this is really a continuation from... The previous passage that we looked at last week when Jesus said not to resist an evil person. Remember when he said, turn the other cheek, give the shirt off your back, go the extra mile, be generous with your grace. We looked at those last week from that teaching. We have some very um, popular idioms and sayings in our culture today, and this is where these come from. And so think of it like this conversation. If you were there and Jesus was teaching this, but let's say you were there listening and he's teaching and you're like kind of having this back and forth with Jesus. And he, he says, all right, so I, I don't want you to resist an evil person. What I'd rather you do is if somebody slaps you and insults you, turn the other cheek. And if somebody steals your shirt, give them your coat. And if they ask you to carry their bag one mile, go two miles and be generous if somebody asks you to lend them money. and It's like you would respond and just say, wow, Jesus, okay, anything else you want us to do? And then Jesus would say, yeah, and then he says our passage for today, he says, I want you to love your enemies and bless those who curse you and do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. And then you would say, wow, okay, glad I asked. And then perhaps we would ask, okay, Jesus, but why would we do such a thing with our enemies? He says in verse 45, so that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. And then we might just finally say, yeah, but then what? We'd say, well, then you'll be perfect, like your Father in heaven is perfect. So let's just kind of walk through that together this morning, just briefly. Why would Jesus teach us to do such things? Some of your versions might not have that part of verse 44. There's some ancient manuscripts that include it, some that don't. So you might be reading along in your own Bibles and say, well, mine just says love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Um, Some manuscripts include these other ones are really just an unpacking. These are biblical truths from elsewhere. They might not have been included in here, but I thought it was important for our study this morning. Because you're going to see these four things. Jesus says, no, don't resist an evil person. Turn the other cheek, of the shirt off your back, go the extra mile, be generous, but I also want you to do these things. Love and bless and do good and pray, but not for the people that you like already, and not for just the Christians that are in church with you. I want you to do these things in response to your enemies. But let me ask you this question first before we begin to unpack it together. Do you have an enemy? What does an enemy even look like? How would we define it? I mean, nobody wants to have an enemy. We don't want to be anybody's enemies, but do we have enemies? And what would that look like our day and age? Is there somebody in your life that you can just think of right now and just be like, yeah, they are my mortal enemy. I mean, I hope not, but I think we can all relate to what Jesus is saying, people that may persecute us or hate us, whether it's for our faith or not, people that may slander us, us names, insult us for whatever reason. Those things have surely happened to us. That's the kind of person Jesus is talking about. And he's going to tell us in this passage how we are to respond to them. And I, I think we can all relate in many ways. Again, Jesus is speaking with great authority. Now, notice first he says this. This is important. He says, you've heard it said, so he's always been like quoting an Old Testament law, right? Usually from the Ten Commandments. He says, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor. So we know that's there. But he says, and hate your enemy. We stop right there. Does the Bible teach, does the law of Moses actually teach to hate your enemy? It does not. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, you've heard it said. And he gives the law, but he's basically saying, you've heard your religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, You've heard them say that you also are to hate your enemy. See, Jesus puts that in there. So Jesus isn't saying that the law of Moses, the law that God had given the people of Israel, taught them to hate their enemy. He's like, no, they're mixing it all up. See, it was, it was an assumption. See, what was happening is that the religious leaders, the people we've been talking about, they've been taking great liberties with the law and saying, oh, it must mean this. So they took this um, teaching of you shall love your neighbor, and they figured, well, the opposite must be true. I love my neighbor, so I guess we have to hate our enemies, right? So Jesus is turning that around. And they would take other passages of Scripture, some imprecatory psalms that, you know, where David is calling out that God would, uh, would bring judgment to the enemies and say, yeah, yeah, we have to hate our enemies. And Jesus is saying no. He's saying you are, I say to you, love your enemies. So let's look at that one first, love your enemies He's saying, don't hate them, don't hate your enemies, but return hate with love. It's an action word, right? Love is an action word. We are to be actively loving those who are enemies. Being kind towards them. See, it goes a step beyond. Doesn't Jesus, when he says all these things, when he's like, go the extra mile, or turn the other cheek, he's saying, take a step beyond. Don't just clam up and say nothing if somebody is your enemy, but go out of your way to love them. Right? You see the difference? So it's like step one is don't respond out of hatred, but step two is do something loving towards your enemy. That's a big difference in Jesus' teaching because love is that action word. It's about being sacrificial. Isn't love sacrificial? God's true love? I mean... When he sent us Jesus, was that not the ultimate example of sacrificial love? Aren't we taught that in our marriages we are to love sacrificially, not looking at ourselves first, but at the interest in the heart of our spouses first? Love in God's economy is sacrificial. So Jesus is saying, love your enemies. So love your neighbor and Your enemies. Then he says, Bless, bless those who curse you. If someone insults you, Jesus had already said, turn the other cheek. He's saying, Don't insult them back, but in fact, say something nice to them. See, that's kind of where we trip up. It might be easier for us to say, "Mm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna curse them back. I'm not gonna insult them back. But Jesus says, take the extra step. Reflect my kind of sacrificial love. And say something nice. What did your mom always tell you, right? Can't say something nice. Don't say anything at all. Jesus, how about you encourage them? You lift them up. Don't tear them down. Right? It's not just refraining from insulting them back, but responding with kind words. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. We have the ability to build up or to tear down by the words that we say. The words we use are important. And you know how we we know that? We know that because we have been the recipients of unkind words before. We know what that feels like, and we don't want to do that to others. So Jesus says, love your enemies, and he says, bless those who curse you. Don't just refrain from cursing them back. Bless them. Then he says, do good Those who hate you. Again, another action word saying, Don't just stand still. Be actively doing something towards your enemies. He says, Do good to those who hate you. Treat people kindly and with compassion, even if they are spewing hate to you. Man, Jesus, are you sure about this? He says, Don't respond to hate with hate respond to hate with love. Again, it's taking that step of action. It's going that extra mile. And he says, pray for those who persecute you, who spitefully use you and persecute you. Notice we are to pray for them, not just about them. God, would you please rain judgment down on my enemies? He says, don't just pray for them. How about yeah, I mean, you pray for them, not just about them. Pray for them. What kind of things would we pray for those who are persecuting us? How about we pray? God, would you please bless them? Would you show them how they're hurting me, God? Would you forgive them? Would you open their eyes to what they are doing? Would you soften their heart? You know, one thing I often like to pray for, especially when it's maybe somebody close to you, Pray that God would bring other believers into that person's life. Because, you know, we have those people in our lives, especially those people that know us, they're probably not going to hear it well from us, right? They're not going to receive those words from us. They've heard it too much, or they, maybe they know us too well. and Say, oh, I know what you're saying. You say you're a Christian, but I know who you really are. So maybe we pray, God, give me the patience, give me the words, but bring other believers into this person's life so they can hear the good news, the gospel of grace, and hear forgiveness and love and compassion from somebody else. Somebody perhaps that speaks their language in a sense that they would relate to, that they would respect. We are to pray for those who persecute us. Pray for their well being. Pray for their salvation and pray for their transformed heart. See, the key to all these things, church, to kind of sum that up is humility. We are to come before others with humility. We won't read it, but Paul in Philippians chapter 2, he describes for us in great detail, it's a beautiful passage, verses 1 through 11 of Philippians 2, how Jesus is our ultimate example of humility, how Jesus willingly went to the cross on our behalf. He is God, and on earth he was man and God, and He had that power and ability to say no, and even in the garden, sweating blood, and was saying, Father, if there's any way, let this pass from me, but not my will. Your will be done. Jesus willingly went to the cross on our behalf. The perfect example of humility. We are to follow in his footsteps and be humble before others. You know, um, we often hear this passage read at weddings, and it's good, and it's appropriate. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 about love, because Jesus is ultimately saying love the ones that hate you, love your enemies, and bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who persecute you. But look at what Paul says when he talks about love. What what does love look like? Okay, love is patient and kind. We're patient and kind to our people that insult us, people that, that frustrate us, the people that are hating on us. He says, love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist in its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. Can you hear him just kind of recalling Jesus teaching about loving our enemies? Love, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Because love bears all things, and it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things, and love never ends. Jesus says to love your neighbor and love your enemies. Don't hate them, love them. See, loving those who love you is natural. we can do that. But loving our enemies has to be supernatural. We can't do it on our own. That's why we ask God for his help. We can only do it when we're seeking after him. Because loving those who love us, praying for those who are kind to us, right? Helping those who help us, that's a natural reaction. But loving our enemies, blessing those who curse us, doing good to those who hate us, praying for those who persecute us, that has to be supernatural only by the power of God in us. Because we are now his. And then he says, to do all this, right, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, verse 45. Just clarification. He's not saying if you do these things, you'll earn your salvation, right, or you'll become sons. But basically in the Greek there, it's kind of a poor translation. It means that you may act like sons of your Father in heaven, that you will be like, right? Doesn't mean you become them, but it's like you're gonna reflect the heart of the Father. You will reflect what your father wants. It's kind of like a son and the father. I got to. I was on a phone call yesterday, a video chat with my son and his friend. I'd never met him, and as soon as the video chat opened, he started smiling. And he says, oh, yeah, that's your dad. Because he can see the resemblance, right? In many ways, whether it's physical or in our heart attitude or the things that we say and do, we are to reflect, right?, our Father in heaven, kind of like our earthly children do of us, so we would like them to. But only for the good stuff we say and do, right? What's that old thing, you know? Do what I say, not what I do? Good. Mm. So, he's saying you're going to reflect the Father's image and his will and his heart when you do these hard things, but God will help you do it because it has to be supernatural. Look what he says here. It's really interesting how he describes it in the rest of verse 45. And so Jesus saying, for he makes his son, he's talking about God the Father, he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust. Let's park there for just a second. Why would he say that? Why is that so important and crucial? I think simply what Jesus is saying is that God loves your enemies so you need to love them too. See, we're all created in God's image, right? And the sin that we're all born with, it mars that, but it doesn't take it away completely. Every single person you will ever meet is made in God's image, no matter where they're from and what they look like, what language they speak, all of that. We are to see other people the way God sees them, and he loves them. So If God makes his sun rise on the evil and the good, just the same, it's the same sun out there. For those that are perpetrating evil and those that are reading God's word and doing good things, it's the same sun. Rain comes and falls on those who are just and also on the unjust. What a powerful statement, right? We're all made in God's image. We're all part of his creation. So if God loves everyone, then we are to love everyone. When he says love your neighbor, let me give you a point of clarification. He says, love every neighbor. I'm sure you have neighbors that you really like, you get together with, you have barbecues. I know there's neighbors on your block that you're like, oh, we don't talk to them. Yeah, nobody talks to those neighbors. Oh yeah, I was mowing my lawn once and they called the cops and complained, you know. We are to love our neighbors, but that means every neighbor. And I think Jesus would say, especially the ones that you can't stand. Especially the ones that annoy you, right? See, that's what Jesus is saying. Go that extra mile. Turn the other cheek. Love is that action word. Don't just clam up and do nothing. But how about those neighbors that you really can't stand? How about you bake them an apple pie and you bring it over? So... We are, you know, it goes a long way in helping us, I think, to be compassionate to others when we are reminded of that simple truth that God creates all of us and we are all created in his image. Everybody that you meet is searching for hope, whether they admit it or not, whether they know it themselves or not. Everybody needs hope. The church, we are the people that have that message of hope. So, just to kind of bring us to the conclusion. Uh, Let's see, I can go back here. And he says, he's just kind of like elaborating. Like, so if you love those who love you, then where's the reward? That's what the tax collectors do. He says it's easy to love others. He's saying love your enemies. And if you greet only your brethren, like your brothers and sisters, you know, then how is that better than anybody else? You're not being different from the world. That's what everybody does anyway. And even the tax collectors do that. And then he finally says, so you have to be perfect. He says... Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. That kind of sums up this whole section we're looking at the last few weeks. See, we can only rely on God. Why? Is any of us here perfect? Please don't raise your hand. Will we ever be perfect before Christ comes? No, but yet, Scripture tells us very clearly that we are to seek after that perfection, knowing we'll never attain it, but with God's help, we are to become more like Christ each and every day because he is perfect. We are to rely on God. See, it's all about his standard. God's standard of righteousness is perfection. That is why we need Jesus because he was the only one who lived a perfect and sinless life. We can't earn our way into heaven. We can't do that because we can't be perfect. God says, you want to come into my heaven You need to be holy and perfect and pure and blameless. We can't get there on our own. So he said, I'm going to send you one who is holy, perfect, and pure and blameless, and he will take your place. And then if you believe in him for the salvation of your sin, the forgiveness of your sin, the salvation of your soul, and you believe that Jesus was the only one that could do that, you believe that by faith, he said, then you can enter into my heaven as you have believed that I have done it for you, and it was only done through Christ. So he says, be perfect. So that's what that means. It's, it's kind of like mature, complete. You will be complete for who I want you to be when you do these things, right? As you continue to do them until I take you home or come back for you. Right? So it's kind of like these other verses Luke 6, therefore be merciful just as your Father is merciful. See, we're supposed to be like the Father, reflect his heart. 1 Peter 1, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. See, it's taken from the Old Testament. John 13, Jesus says to his disciples, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. Well, how did Jesus love us? He died for us. We are to love sacrificially for others. And Ephesians 4, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Remember Jesus, back in verse 20 of chapter 5 of Matthew, he said, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. He set them up saying the only way to get into the kingdom is to have perfect righteousness. It's got to be better than the Pharisees. And the idea was they would learn that they can't be perfect. And so Jesus would be the perfect one for them. Let me just read to you and then we'll close from Romans 12. It won't be up on the screen. You don't have to turn there. But Romans 12, listen to how Paul says this. Therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Those are some familiar words for many of us. But he goes on to explain the difference of living in this world, right, with all that it has to say about us, and how we are to live in this world as citizens of the kingdom. Paul goes on to say, love must be sincere. You're supposed to hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another, honor one another above yourselves. Don't be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. Then he says in verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless them and don't curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position so you're not conceited. Don't repay evil with evil. And be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. But on the contrary, Paul ends by saying, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If your enemy is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Like, well, I could do that. I'd like to heap burning coals on some people's heads. But what is Paul saying? He's quoting from the Old Testament, right? And what does it teach us? It's like when you're kind to your enemies, God will use it to bring them to a point of conviction. That's the idea. Right? Not, you're not convicting them. You're not changing them. You're just acting as God would want you to. And he will use that to draw them, to show them the error of their ways. Right? So that they can see what they're doing and hopefully... They will see God for who he is. God draws people in many different ways. He might even use us, loving our enemies, to do it. He says, do not, overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. How did Jesus love his enemies? He was hanging on the cross. And he's looking down. You can picture it, Jesus on the cross. He's been there for hours, he's looking down, and what does he see? He sees Roman soldiers gambling for his clothing. He sees criminals on the crosses next to him, insulting him. He sees the religious leaders mocking him one last time. And he sees the crowd cursing him. How did Jesus respond? Would you stand with me? This is what Jesus said. Forgive them, Father, for they do not know what they are doing. May we have that same kind of prayer to God the Father for those that persecute us, that insult us. We're to love our enemies. Jesus did. And from the cross, he prayed, Forgive them. I'm going to invite, if any of you would like to stay after, to pray. Pray for anything. There'll be people up here that'll be willing to pray for you. Specifically, if you need prayer for healing, quite a few people in our church who have been ill and sick and struggling with some very serious um, illnesses. And um, we want to pray. We're a church that prays. We pray for healing. We believe in a God who heals He is called Jehovah Rapha, which means the God who heals. But if you need prayer for anything, maybe God put something on your heart through the message today, or if you need prayer for healing for whatever, I invite you to stay. And if you don't want to stay, it's fine. You'll hear the music playing and you can continue to fellowship in the back quietly or out in the lobby. Um, But if if you'd like to stay, there's going to be some people up here that'll stay for a while. You can come up and we'll pray for you. We'd love to be able to do that and just come before the Lord on your behalf and and pray. Uh, we have a loving God, a God who says that we are to even love like him, which means to forgive, to love our enemies. So let me pray for us. And then if you'd like to, to come up and pray, you can sit where you are and pray with somebody next to you. And um, But just, I invite you to, to stay and pray and linger for a while. And hey, let's pray together. Father, thank you that you are the God of healing. I pray, Father God, that you would restore us who are um, struggling, I pray God that as you are the restorer of souls, that we remind you also restore us physically. Restore us as we seek shelter in you, the Most High, and as you provide refuge in your peace and the comfort of your shadow. God, many of us um, are experiencing time kind of weakness, of pain. I pray that you would bring sustaining, healing grace, and that those who are suffering would find their strength and courage in you. Heal, Father God. Heal those of us who are ill. Heal us according to your will. Make us whole again. And may they find rest in your arms. For you, O Lord, are the everlasting God. You are the creator of the ends of the earth. You will not grow tired or weary, for you give strength to the weary and you increase the power of the weak. We know that those who hope in you, Lord, will have their strength renewed. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. O oh Lord, our God, we pray these truths. We pray them over <clears throat> everyone here, especially the Lord, those who are hurting who need healing for their bodies, who need healing for their minds, who need healing for their heart. We look to you and we count on you. And Father, as we go from this place, would you bless us and go before us? As we reminded earlier, Lord, in our singing, that you an almighty God who goes before us. We trust in you. Prepare that way, Father God. We give you all the thanks and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.
2: At the <więc>